Welcome to another episode of Love with Elise Peck. I'm your host, Elise Peck, and today I'm very happy to be speaking with Florence McMaster. She is a mum of two that has been breastfeeding, co-sleeping, stay-at-home mumming and gentle parenting since 2018. And she's also been studying and learning about child development as part of a Bachelor of Education. So she brings a wealth of experience and knowledge um, on all things responsive parenting. Um, enjoy. Welcome to the Love of Elise Peck podcast. I'm your host, Elise Peck. I'm a best-selling author, certified mindset coach, psychology student, former lawyer, wife, and mother to two primary school-aged girls. Today, I'm very happy to be speaking with Florence McMaster. Now, Florence is a mum of two in Queensland, Australia, and has been breastfeeding, co-sleeping, stay-at-home mumming, and gentle parenting since her first child, who happens to also be named Elise, (laughs) um, was born in 2018. Anecdotally, Florence believes that responsive parenting has helped her nurture very happy, high-achieving children, but she also knows that there is much evidence to support this too, which she is gaining more knowledge of through her studies in child development as part of her Bachelor of Education. So thank you so much for being here and welcome, Florence. Thanks for having me. Hi. I'm thrilled. Hi. Hi, I'm thrilled um, to be chatting to someone who not only has like the lived experience, but has also um, got some uh, strong education in the area as well. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I would like to start off with um, if you could give your pre-motherhood self any advice about motherhood, what would that advice be? Um, well, I think about that a lot and I actually don't think I could give myself any advice because pre-motherhood me uh, wanted to absolutely wanted to do things my way and you really couldn't tell me that I didn't know like what I was how it would be so so even if someone had said oh you'll just you'll just co-sleep with the baby and you'll just uh breastfeed them forever or uh anything like that or you know um yeah anything and I and also I didn't know what to expect anyway so yeah, I I think about it a lot. Like, what if I could do it again? Would I do it differently? And I probably I know you just I, <laughs> I don't think I could have um given myself any advice. I wouldn't have heard it until I could have been in the situation. I love that. So it just it had to you had to learn it as you went. You had to be yeah. in the experience and have it unfold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. Sorry, can you briefly describe for us um your early mothering years? Yeah, so I guess uh, I I had my baby. I had Ellie, Elise, and I think I would say like I absolutely didn't believe in co-sleeping or anything like that. I didn't even think like the idea of having my baby in even in the same room. I was like because that's how I was sort of raised, um, and the the way that people that I knew were that were parenting were were like oh no you don't absolutely don't have your baby even in the same room as you uh because that makes bad habits uh so that's that is what I went in expecting um and then I had the baby and 
I couldn't understand why she was crying all the time. Why, why can't I put her down? Why doesn't she, why does she always wake, wake up when I put her down? Um, and no one could really answer like midwives, etc. And I, I feel like the midwives probably wanted to tell me, you know, just hold the baby, but they kind of can't, they're not really allowed to do that. Um, but fortunately, I had some friends that were co-sleeping and baby wearing and, and breastfeeding um, who I, I eventually, I was like, one particular friend, I'm like, tell me how you co-sleep. I don't understand. I can't put this baby down. She won't sleep. Um, and that's kind of how I started uh, along there. And things were much more sane after that. <laughs> but it was probably that, yeah. the first three weeks of trying to um put the baby down and being like yes she's she's down and then 20 minutes later <laughs> she wasn't I'm like why is this happening oh my gosh it's like the greatest I don't know what to call it but it's the weirdest thing of all time that new mothers get told we're gonna have a baby put it down drowsy at but awake and then it will just yeah. go to sleep and then all of us are there in our most vulnerable chapter saying my baby must be broken what's happened to my baby my baby won't go down drowsy but exactly <laughs> no one can really say anything like the doors and midwives are probably thinking just sleep but they can't say it and people are like exactly you know and so a lot of us um uh, you know for me I just kept trying to pick it up put it down pick it up put it down eventually I would wake up and I would fall I'd fall on the sleep breastfeeding it was slipping yes. out my arms I was like this just none of this makes sense so I had to google but it's kind of crazy that we have to find our way through it like that and yeah. I really think that it would be, I think it would be the best thing for everyone if we were given safe sleeping, uh, safe bed sharing guidelines while we're pregnant. Like, hey, statistics show like a, a certain percentage of people, like most people at some point are going to be co-sleeping or bed sharing. Here's this thing. Um, some people recommend, like give us a balanced understanding of what's out there. Some people are recommending it. Here are the risks. Here's, here's how to decrease the risks. And here's how to, you know, probably get more sleep. We just need to know because when you're in early motherhood and you're fumbling around and your hormones are going crazy and the baby's crying, it's it's not the time to start figuring this thing out that no one will really tell you straight. So I love that you've given that experience so we can all remember, yeah, what it was like I, at the start. I completely agree. And I think, um, again, I don't know if this necessarily would have changed anything for me um, because I still probably wouldn't have believed it. Like, oh, people who co-sleep are just creating bad habits, but I do definitely think it is part of the culture and I would love to see the culture changed because, and especially if we're trying to uh, encourage breastfeeding um, more in mothers, we need to be, like you said, giving mums information on safe, like safe co-sleeping because it happens like, and it's exactly like you said, like one, one of those days when I was in hospital, I was, holding Ellie and breastfeeding and she fell asleep and I fell asleep and I could almost feel my arms. I wasn't sleeping very deeply because it was in hospital, but um, I could, I felt my arms dropping at that feeling where you sort of jerk yourself awake. Mm. And I was like, there is no way that this going in this direction is safer than like setting myself up to co-sleep in a safe way. And that's yeah. when I started doing research and talking to my friends and stuff, and but doing also doing research, um, looking into statistics about like about SIDS as well, and realizing that um, 
actually the tiniest amount of SIDS occurrences did come from co-sleeping. Um, and most of, most of the SIDS uh, incidents happened when the baby was sleeping in a totally different room. And it's yeah. just like, why, like, why isn't, why aren't people talking about that? Mm. It would change yeah. a lot. A lot of yeah. insanity, I think. Yeah, Dr. James McKenna has research that um, shows that bed sharing is protective against SIDS, and the cultures mm-hmm. um, where they, where they, it's it's the norm to co-sleep, um, have the the lowest figures of SIDS. Yes, but none of us know this. We all have to become like experts in babies. <laughs> yes, rapidly in the first few weeks of motherhood to figure out how to be there, and like, how much better for the baby would it be if we knew this going into it? We were relaxed. And I mean, with my second, the first night in hospital, I had a floor bed and set it up. We were bed sharing day one. That's and, awesome. Um, yeah, what a far more relaxing experience that we just knew and we could do it with confidence rather than having these mums everywhere freaking out, um, trying to figure out when they have not been armed with the information of how to do what their biology and instincts and the baby's instincts are all screaming at them to do. So I think, um, yeah, really good insight. Um, so... What, what, like, when did you decide to responsibly parent? Because the idea is you must have been responding to your baby and wanting to breastfeed it, that you were falling asleep. Um, when did you decide that you were going to breastfeed the baby when it wanted, listen to its cries, and, and be responsive in that way? Um, I think responsibly breastfeeding, I think. I don't know if there's a point where I could pin where I pinpointed like, oh, okay, this is what I have to do. I think it just kind of happened. And I did, this is that's one thing I did have information on beforehand because I had um luckily had a friend who joined me into the Australian Breastfeeding uh project awesome. group, Facebook group. And um, and I was able to see everyone's experiences about how they were breastfeeding on demand. And I was like, oh, okay. I was also, I was still pretty unsure because I was like, I don't understand how, I just didn't understand how it worked in practice because I'm a very routine oriented person, um, very much more so before I had babies and I just couldn't wrap my head around how you could function without having a routine. Um, but I did, like I did have that awareness and so when I finally had Ellie, um, and I just kind of the the further away the the further away from the hospital I got not and I'm not saying anything negative about hospitals I just mean like when I started doing things by myself like when I was actually finally able to, to be at be in my home and just fit Ellie it was just Ellie and I we were figuring out our rhythm um, the more I realized oh I see how it works you know mm. and it was it was the easiest way to get her to stop crying so. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like so we went got into that rhythm and and it worked it worked for a long time yeah actually a few people have said that they've said when they were in the hospital environment it was very overwhelming but once it was them with their baby they were able to figure it out by tuning into themselves and their baby so that's some really interesting in- insights um because I think I think hospitals are getting more and more breastfeeding informed and they're wanting mm-hmm. to encourage it. I think they probably need to look at how they're doing that because a lot of people are saying, um, hang on, 
overwhelming they come in they put pressure and it's stressful and Mm -hmm. I think those those practices definitely need to be improved and an awareness of what actually supports a parent to to become attuned to their baby um so yeah just to say you're not the first person that's that said that um and so when did you decide to be a stay-at-home mum uh that's something that we've always wanted to do we didn't know that it would be possible um because you know life these days it's very expensive but it was always so but we tried our best to plan uh my husband um started his own business like he and which was also always part of his plan he always wanted to be able to work from home so that he could see his children more um and not have to be away from them and be able to help out during the day um and when I when I fell pregnant um it was just the right time I we couldn't uh I couldn't the business was doing well enough that we knew that we could afford to have me stay at home and the work situation I couldn't see how I could possibly handle it like I didn't have bad um it was a pretty easy pregnancy but I was like, if this is how I feel when I'm pregnant, I'm going to be even more tired and not really, I couldn't see how I could make it work. So yeah, I ended up um, finishing up when I was in my second trimester and uh, yeah, it's been like that ever since. Beautiful. I love that. I love that. And what was life like for you before you became a mom? Like who were you before becoming a mother? I don't really know it's, it's which doesn't sound yeah. very good I don't I don't like yeah. saying that like I didn't know who I was before I mum but before I became a mum but uh in my particular situation I did feel very lost because again like it was always our plan to for mm. me to be a stay-at-home mum and for us to always become parents um but there was also like we wanted to set ourselves up in such a way that uh that I could be a stay-at-home mom and obviously and um, my husband's business like doing that having that from home um so there were just so many variables and I I guess I just felt a bit lost about what was actually going to happen until we finally fell pregnant um and from there from there things started making sense and um I got really interested in like child development and how and how you know, kids learn so much just through, through play and everyday life and, um, started studying teaching. Um, and I've just gone in that direction. I so love yeah, that. before having kids, I was a bit confused, a bit, bit lost. Yeah. I totally resonate with that. Like once, once I was in love with my husband and like, you know, we had a plan to have children, it sort of felt like now I was just biding my time until that chapter was going to arrive. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was like, okay, I don't want to start anything. I know I'm going to stop. Exactly. I know I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to do it. I'll do it well. And um, we wanted to, so I had a very similar thing. And I had this instinct that um, I would know what to do with my life better once I had children. And yeah, it really awoke in me an interest in psychology. Um, so a very similar, similar sort of knowing as you that like children needed to happen. That is, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah, 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 I totally get that. And an interesting thing you said about being into routines was um, I, I was someone really like that too. Everyone, like if you could have decided who was probably going to be a real routine 
sleep training, blah, blah, blah. People would have thought it was me because I like being organized. I don't like mm-hmm. people being like a minute late. Like I like, I like order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think everyone was shocked that I was doing this free flowing parenthood for years of like, I don't know when they're going to sleep. I don't <laughs> um, and I wonder like, do you have any, any tips or insights on surrendering into not having routine when you're someone who really likes routine? Um, no. Yeah, I think you yeah. really just, I guess, I guess if you're, if you want for um, parents who are hoping, who you know, are a bit more open-minded than I was before, like when I was pregnant and before having kids, um, do expect, do expect that there won't be any routine. And it's, it is really difficult. I guess I don't have any advice, but I do have total solidarity. Like it is really hard to let go, but you eventually do. And also routine does come eventually. Like um, in, I guess just, don't feel bad about don't feel bad about not being as productive as you used to be because the all of this one-on-one time and uh just going with the flow is is going to is it's absolutely going to pay off in like in 2 years when they when they're getting around with you and they're walking and they're a little bit more independent and you're having conversations it's so cool and it's so worth it like it was it was really hard to deal with during like for the first 2 years but it's so worth it and I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah I would I would do it all again it's hard but I would do it again I totally, I totally agree. And I think it's a mindset thing of tapping into what you just said is, is thinking of the long game. Yeah. Thinking of why you're doing this and what is ultimately going to get you two, three, 70 years down the track. You know, yeah. you're, you're building something that at the start, there's this saying, um, I don't know who said it, but it's the hard road gets easy and the easy road gets hard. Yeah. And I think in parenting, if you take the easy road straight up and you don't form a foundation of secure attachment and instead you form a culture of control and compliance that falls apart as you grow older. Yeah. But I think if you do the hard stuff in the first three years, you really give what you've got, you you go with the flow, you sort of surrender into it. Um, it passes and then like the rest is so much easier because your children can regulate better. You have a connection with them. The bond is stronger. So they're going to bring things to you for you to solve and turn yep. toward you. And, and as you, as they turn into adults, um, when you're no longer this leader, uh, you can you can have a quite a strong friendship as adults because you've got that foundation of connection and it's really a long game. And I think on the hard days, remembering why you started and what it's ultimately going to get you long term really helps. Um, and something for me was the reason I liked routine was it gave me a sense of safety and security and control. Mm-hmm. And I think finding what what level of safety security and control are you getting out of actually surrendering and meeting your child's needs Mm -hmm. and I think you're getting this secure attachment you're getting this thing that long term is going to give you way more safety security and control than having a routine in the short term those are just sort of mindset things that can help because it really is especially if you're someone that did like routine it's very confronting and perhaps the life is only be so unpredictable 
Um, that's a really good point to bring up. I'd love to know, you know, did you have a clear why um, for why you wanted to respond to your baby? Like I, I imagine like everyone else, you had people telling you to sleep train or recommending mm -hmm. it. Did you have a why for why you wanted to instead meet the needs of your children or your child? children um, yeah absolutely um I grew up a very anxious kid and my parents were very uh I'm probably going to get the term wrong because I know that there's a difference between authoritarian and authoritative and they were the whichever one isn't good <laughs> like um, they were dominating and you were submissive yes absolutely yeah. like absolutely like I was I was spanked I was um you know the door was closed that so uh, lights off door closed at 7 a.m I mean 7 p.m and we don't see you until seven o'clock in the morning like and you know if you have a nightmare you'll be fine like definitely definitely don't come in and give us a hug you know there was no comfort um or anything like that and I grew up to be a very anxious kid and adult and I guess a lot of when I fell pregnant with Ellie um I did a lot of self-reflection and 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 it's like from the moment I fell pregnant with Ellie up until this moment, I do, I do a lot of self-reflection on um, why, like why I've had certain behaviors and why I've felt certain ways in certain situations and um, did the work so that I didn't repeat those and didn't give her the same complexes that I've had. And so far it seems to be working. Like she's been at school like the evidence for me has been, again, it's a, it's that secure attachment. It's so obvious in her. Like the first two years she wanted to be with me all the time because she was a baby, obviously. And that's what I try to explain to people when they were like, oh, she's so like, you know, you need to you need to put her down more. You need to um, put her in daycare, blah, 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 because she's so attached to you. And I'm like, yes, because she actually can't feed herself. She's a baby. <laughs> She doesn't have words yet, so she this is the crying is the only way she knows how to tell me stuff something's wrong. Um sorry, I think I kind of went on the tangent there. Um yeah, that's right. is great. That's great. <laughs> so the evidence has been like she started school this year, and I remember so clearly being such an anxious kid at school, um, terrified to do anything. I like almost literally immobile, um anxious. But she loves school so much like the years are like as the years have gone on she has become so independent without and I have not pushed her at all I've never held her back and I've never pushed her away and she's just she's such an, a happy independent kid who is absolutely thriving at school um and and I just know it's because I didn't you know I just never forced her to be more independent than she was ready to be mm. but also never held her back from like always let her if she wanted to explore like let her explore in a safe way um yeah that's been the evidence for me so yeah. far I love that and it, it's bringing up so much to me I remember both my babies um I mean, especially my first, very, very clingy babies yeah. and didn't want to be held by anyone else. Around nine months, they would get this stranger feel, like scream at new people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I remember all my relatives thinking like, well, stuff this up, you know, because a lot of the babies that have been um, 
sleep trained uh, have learned not to kind of cry or signal or even show. They're mm-hmm. just like, in freeze. You can pass yeah. them around. They're very chill. It's all very quiet. And a lot of people see this as independence. Yeah. But um, avoidant attachment mm-hmm. looks like mm-hmm. that too. Yeah. And being anxious can look like that too. You're shut down and you've got what's called learned helplessness. You've learned that there's like no point fighting. Um, so you just don't even bother. Whereas the babies that, and have secure attachment, learn that signaling is absolutely worth it. If I signal, someone will respond. I'll get my mm-hmm. needs met. This And this is not a bad habit. This is communication. It's building a relationship. And as their brain um, develops self-regulation, it will it will grow and develop as they grow and develop. But they're meant to be really dependent um, for the first one to three years. They're meant, yeah. to, they're meant to be very clingy with their mom. They're meant to, this is, this is good. And then, and then as they get older, they start emerging. Yeah. And that's, and I, so I remember I had these really clingy babies, but now they're like, they're often yeah. so open. They're so, oh my gosh, I'm really like, they'll just go up to a group of teenagers. They'll put on performances. Yeah, and you can see the family now is like, whoa, these kids yeah. are in. They're jumping on top of everyone. They're so, and um, yeah, and and it was it takes a lot of courage to get through those years when everyone's telling you to do the wrong thing and then your babies mm-hmm. are clingy. Even I, I used to walk in to drop my eldest off at preschool and my youngest, would, I'd be carrying them. And mm-hmm. the teacher would be like, you're going to put your, your back out and I think you should put it down. She can probably walk fine. They would always come and they mm-hmm. always carry. And you should have seen the shock on their face when she turned four and I would just drop her at yep. this um, this preschool. And she would just do fun. Um, <laughs> and I yep. could tell that in their mind, because I had held this baby so much that that was never going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so you, you have, people have all this doubt and you've just got to keep going. But my, uh, my eldest as well, she, we really followed her lead and we didn't take her to a mainstream primary school until she was seven. She went to this mm-hmm. attached, attached to the preschool, like this alternative thing, but she cool. really ended up being um, intellectually gifted and needed more stimulation. So mm-hmm. we took her down to the primary school where she got that. And since she's been there, she's already, she's only been there a year. She's won like three awards for, she's just thriving and she loves it and she loves people. And I think, gosh, the amount of people that told me that I was creating bad habits and, you know, she was going to be clingy and, and honestly, she's so social and confident. So I totally resonate with your story and have had the the same experience as well. And I think hopefully comforting for anyone that maybe has a clingy baby to know that, you know, that hard road is a road that gets easy and the people that have stopped their babies from signaling distress, that road gets harder. Yeah. Um, so oh, I, lo- absolutely. I love that you brought that up. I love that you brought that up. So, um, oh, hang on. I, I, I was just going to touch on, I got a really into that. I forgot what my next, <laughs> <laughs> my next question. So what do you think has been like the most rewarding part of motherhood for you? Um, I think, I think it's, yeah, this stage now where they're going out and doing things and and yeah, seeing them thrive out in the out in the world is so cool. Like I think it's the thing that makes me the most passionate of all is just seeing how how much they love like even Ben, who's my youngest, um, up until very recently, um, like you just said with your with your child, very clingy, like I had to carry him everywhere. Um well, yeah, if there were other people around, like, you know, if there are a certain number of kids around, he was just just with me, just sitting with me. But, like, just in the last couple, and, like, I never pushed him away, never forced him to, you know, go and 
be independent or be sociable. But just in the even in the last few months, like just seeing him completely come out of his shell and it just seeing that click in his head where he's like, Yeah, it is, it's totally safe. Mum's just over there. I'm gonna go play with these kids, or I'm gonna go um play on the playground by myself. Um, it's just so cool. It just makes it so worthwhile. That's been my favorite bit. Yeah, I love that. I I totally resonate with that. Um after my second and I had like a three-year-old and then a newborn and I was responsibly parenting with like no village I was like okay I can't have any more I can't have any more mm-hmm. and then and then now that they're like eight and five and it's I can see I can see all the work that's like mm-hmm. paid off and how to like how much I love being around these humans I'm like I could go again like I, yeah yeah now I can, it, it's so hard at the start but then it's like oh you get to a point where it's it's almost like you planted all these seeds and they didn't bloom for like three, four years. And then they all just start sprouting up. You're like, oh, yes. That's so exciting. <laughs> um, I love that. All right. So then what has been like the most challenging part of being a responsive parent and a stay-at-home mom? Uh, well, I guess conversely, the most challenging part has was that first two years where um and like I and again I did struggle with the lack of routine like I wish I could say something positive and um, encouraging but for me it was really hard like especially when I had two with Ellie when it was just me and Ellie I found it a lot easier to get out and about with her and I would just strap her to me with like the tooler and um we'd go around and yeah um you know just it was it was easy to get around but with both of them um I had a lot of doubt. I had more doubt in myself, actually. Not so much when I had, it was easier with Ben because I'd had the experience with Ellie and I knew exactly what I was, what I was doing, but I had a lot of anxiety about Ellie and how she would go because it was just the two of us. Like it just felt very, it's always felt very new with Ellie and very um, uh, well-practiced with Ben. So uh I guess, I guess it would be that, that w- that's what I would find the most challenging. And that would be the thing that stops me from having another one is the, I guess also the extend, not, not being able to get, have a routine again, because mm. again, now um, things are pretty chill. Like they, they do sleep through the night now. And, um, you know, we have a daily routine where things are pretty predictable Um we go out, we do certain things at certain times and it's all cool. Um, and yeah, I think having to go back to those newborn days where it was not like that at all would be um, pretty terrifying. Yeah, totally hear you. And it is like you do you do emerge and you remember what life felt like before and you're like, yes. oh. <laughs> and it's interesting how I remember when I was in this chaos and the lack of routine and the you know, I mean, there was some like routine. Like we had breakfast, and yeah. we had lunch. We had, but like less less structure than I was comfortable with. I guess um, prior to becoming a mum, there there it does feel like it will go forever. And then and then I, I probably so I probably had like a good two years now of life feeling quite normal. Yeah, because um, my kids are five and eight now. So probably when yeah, probably when they were like seven and three. And, um, it started to feel really normal again. And I think mm-hmm. you get that time and 
then I can, you know, my husband and I could, we felt, then felt comfortable getting a babysitter and going on mm-hmm. stage, going back to normal life again. But I did that for a couple of, we've done that for a couple of years now. Yeah. You know, like, All right, we could take on another. You know, yeah, that's what of, gets you. It's what gets you. That's why people <laughs> keep going back. It's yes. just, like child, just like childbirth, you know, in the yep. middle of it, you're like, I don't think I'll do this again. Yeah. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, I got through <laughs> that. That was fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, do you have any tips for anyone currently in that hard two years? Um, I, yeah, I, I guess it's like what we said earlier, just I promise, I promise it's worth it. Like doing the hard yards now is so, and I mean, it isn't all hard. I mean, I'm probably, I'm probably focusing a bit on the negative bits. Like I loved that, especially with Ellie, when it was just her and me, I didn't have to chase after her as a toddler. Um, my thumb, Some of my favorite memories are just being able to sit with her while she slept on my chest and just chilling out. Like, don't feel like you have to be productive when they nap. Just and I, I mean, I know you can't, it's not as easy as sleep when the baby sleeps. It's not that easy either. But totally give in to Netflix and reading a book while the baby is asleep on you. Like, oh, soak that up. It's so good. It's so it's it's so relaxing. And also, um don't feel like you need to stick with like we had a pretty unusual I think nightly routine in the end um or in the beginning I should say when we finally surrendered to the co-sleeping and the no no sleep routine thing we figured out like Ellie would want to would have her her uh cluster feeding what's that that hour the the witching hour hour, hour. um like about four o'clock so like I would make sure that I'd have like we'd have dinner ready like shower like I would shower at three we'd Mm. we'd get in our pjs um dinner would be in the slow cooker and so like it was just Ellie and me like breastfeeding until she fell asleep and then she'd kind of fall asleep from five and she'd wake up through the night but like I think if you have the luxury of being a stay-at-home parent and having like a, a supportive co-parent who is able to help you out with, or help you out, but you know what I mean? Like pitch in with those things. Um, don't, yeah. Don't feel like you have to stick to a normal routine for even yourself, like eat at the weird hours and just make sure you eat. Like as long as you're eating, it's okay if you eat at a weird hour and time. Um and yeah, also, so I don't know if this is controversial advice either, but give in to nuggets. Like, you know, sometimes some of the days are going to be really horrible to you and all you can manage is putting nuggets in the oven and that's okay. Uh, They're going to be my okay. nuggets, little nuggets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like chicken nuggets is, yeah, If as yeah, long as you guys nuggets. are eating food or cereal or toast at dinner, it's okay. Mm. It's only going to be a little while. I promise yes. it would be 15 years of nuggets. Yeah. I love this. I love this. It's so important. It's so practical. And, um, yeah, totally hear you. We had the weirdest routines and they changed every few months. And then we had another yeah. equally weird one. Yeah. Uh, and if you watched us the whole way through, you'd find the whole thing kind of weird. But, yeah. Um, but it, it, it eventually sort of, it eventually is normal. And, but you know, um. 
Oh God, I can think when my, it was probably a good six months when my first baby, um, I didn't have a second one, so this was very possible, but she would fall asleep in my arms. Uh, I'd be sitting on the couch and she'd fall asleep in my arms around 4 or 5 p.m. And if I kept her in my arms and just breastfed her every time she stirred, she would stay like that Yes. Um, until I until I was ready to go to bed. Same. So I would just sit there around five. My husband would get in from work around, I don't know, like eight, and he would come and, like, feed me, and then we'd watch yep. TV together. I'm holding the baby the whole time. Um, if I needed to wee or something, I could transfer it into, into my husband's arms. I'd go, mm-hmm. and she served for breastfeed again back to me. And then uh, when we're ready for bed, I don't know, like 10, roll in and pop her on the bed yes and that was the evening and I think exactly um, does not need to look in, uh, like it does in the movies like when they get older yeah. sure they love they love a bath yeah like you don't need to like you know bath books blah 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 when yeah. they're little and just because it looks weird in this phase it does that that's not your whole parenting journey you think of your own yeah. childhood when you think of your childhood you you don't think of the whole thing you think I'm um, like one snapshot or one phase and whatever phase you're desiring will happen at some point yeah uh, if you if you desire like at this time, we're all doing homework and then we're having dinner and then we're having a bath and then we're going to, we're reading books in bed and then we're going to sleep. That's, on, that's, that's, that's easily going to happen at some yep. point, probably more 100%. than like five, five eight. Um, so you, you're not going to jump right into the structured season when you've got a baby. They're just not built for that. Nope. Uh, that's such a good reminder. Yeah. Thanks for that. It really took me back. Yeah. <laughs> those, those sleepy, cuddly days. But yes. But yeah, embrace it. Like those, they're such because it, like everyone says, it definitely doesn't last. And then you'll, and then you will have routine, and then you'll be running around and doing stuff all the time. And that's that has that's tiring too in its own way. It's good, but yeah, it's also tiring, and you miss the snuggles. Yeah, I actually really cherish the photos I've got now of um, middle of the day lying on the bed, my baby's like latched on, and I'm sort of like stuck there but I would like meditate or read something yeah, on my phone yes it, it it causes you to, to stop and I think that there's something really feminine and I think our hormones actually really benefit from this sort of not go 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 the whole time just yep. pausing and resting and yeah I think there's something really beautiful about that that chapter and probably you might even miss it once it's over mm-hmm. definitely have you got any other tips or things that you want to say on motherhood before we wrap up um no not not nothing that comes to mind <laughs> um you got anything interesting that you've learned through your your childhood development that has made you feel kind of like a little pat on the back for the way you've done things oh everything that I've learned about secure attachment and I love like it was a, such a pleasant surprise to learn that that's actually being taught um in because I'm studying early childhood uh education in particular um and very pleasantly surprised because um, I feel like, well, especially through my own school experience, like, you know, back in the day, um, they weren't super nurturing. <laughs> Some of them were, but, you know, so it's nice that um, the, that research is actually being like, is actually being taken on board by, you know, the powers that be that are, that are uh, passing down regulations and everything. Um, and yeah, it was just a really pleasant surprise to see that secure attachment was being taught uh, in yeah these child development um, courses that I'm doing, um, and it was yeah very validating to hear that um, 
stuff that I sort of did instinctually um, was actually backed by science. Um, it's always very reassuring when when you hear that. Yeah, um, totally, totally. Yeah. That's my experience in psychology as well. Like I've found out about maternal studies and maternal deprivation and maternal separation, yeah. and um, and it, it blows my mind that we actually have all this evidence. And I, I just just presented a, an assignment on um, looking at the the proof we have of the damage of maternal separation. Mm-hmm. And that, that means we really ought to be questioning um, the widespread recommendation of solitary sleep for infants. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. we have enough evidence to say this is not, we're not biologically adapted for it. Like, um, so it's fascinating that, that the evidence is there. And I think yeah, it's just a slow creep up to the policymakers to trickle it down. And, um, and hopefully then there's more midwives and doulas and people that can say, yes, Bed sharing is a great way to get more sleep. It's good for your baby. Mm-hmm. It's good for regulating your milk supply. Um, I mean, it's really good for breastfeeding to, to ensure your your milk supply is regulated. It's also really good to mm-hmm. ensure the baby's getting enough melatonin and yep. enough hormones of an, uh, during the night to be sleeping and all sorts of stuff. But also Dr. James McKenna has shown that it also helps to regulate the baby's hormones and their breathing and all this sort of stuff. It's just... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And babies thrive in that environment. Like they need a lot of physical contact to thrive. It's mm-hmm. funny that you said Tula. I use tools as well. And even with baby wearing and, and tools, it's really good. The movement is actually very good for, for oh, them. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of evidence for what we naturally want to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, your journey and contributing to this village of responsive mamas so that people can feel like they're not alone in following what what they instinctively want to do um is there any final words or anything you want to add before we finish it up finish it up uh no well I mean thanks for having me I, I hope I hope that it does help um some mums out there who are feeling you know a little lost you know especially in the in the early days um just know that it's it's not it's not forever um and it's okay to it's okay to surrender to uh feeling like things aren't as productive as before because I promise it's only gonna be a little while. Um and it's so worth it. I really love that. And I absolutely would have loved to have heard this conversation when I was in early motherhood. So thank you so much for your time You're and welcome. insights. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for another episode of season two of the Love with Elise Peck podcast, where we chat to mamas that have responsibly parented and we hear about their journey, their insights, their wisdom, their challenges and the rewards of building such a beautiful bond to last a lifetime with your children. All right. If you'd like to learn more about me, your host Elise, you can head to elisepeck.com. The link is also in the caption slash description of this podcast. And I look forward to connecting with you on another episode of Love with Elise Peck very soon. Bye for now.